and welcome Hello. to Thinking Like Hey, welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. That's Catherine Rubino. We are from Above the Law, which you may or may not be reading. But uh, if you aren't, welcome to this digest of the top news stories of the week in this little corner of the universe that we call law. I mean, I think it's more than just a digest, right? We add new perspectives. Sometimes, you know, the longer you sit on a story, the um, the more annoyed you get by it. That You get a lot more saltiness from both of us. I think that that is a fair assessment of where we are. I think that, oh yeah, I mean, I think that, that sounds about right. So cool. So how are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm doing okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that is still annoying. In yeah. case in case you're worried. Although it did seem sort of um, abortive. Yeah, uh, it didn't sound quite right, did it? It didn't. It didn't. You want to try again? Okay. <laughs> it's like premature sound effects or something. Yeah. No. It, it, it it's got something wrong. Uh. But maybe I. I don't know. Um. It's okay. We'll figure it's it all right. I think I think our listeners still appreciate the efforts being made. Welcome to Small Talk, everybody. <laughs> How was your weekend, Joe Patrice? Not great. Not great? Hmm. What's up? Yeah. What's up? Well, as as the real Joe heads out there know, who listen to all of my appearances, uh, if you were checking Joe out Joe heads, the, is that what we're calling your fans? Joe heads? I, right? I mean, I mean, unless there's a better name. I mean, I think it's very funny that you think that there should be a name. I mean... Let's start there. Let's start there. It's a... It's a decent fan club. Is it? Is it? I think so. Anyway. So uh, is there somebody besides your mom in said fan club? No, like, no there's, there's, I mean, I have, I, I have a robust fan base. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so as the uh, real hashtag Joe heads know, the, Please uh, uh, and listened to the legal tech week news roundup that we do Which, with the journalists. You know, points yeah. for them figuring out what podcast it is since you can barely name it. It's, listen, the point is, uh, if people listen to that, they heard this tale already, but uh, I, despite being vaccinated and everything, have managed to acquire a COVID-19 breakthrough case. Uh, thankfully, down. yeah, so uh, I only actually had symptoms for about 24 hours. Thankfully, but That's not, uh, that doesn't yeah. sound terrible at all. It Yay, was, science! It wasn't, uh, <laughs> though. After a couple of days of being okay, I did lose my sense of smell, mm. uh, which plagued me for most of the weekend. It appears to have come back, you know, midday midday Sunday. So, so a couple days, a couple days, you're without your sense of smell. That's it. Yeah, but that was that was real bad. It, it's one of those things that you don't think of needing until you don't have it. I mean, I think of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those who may not realize, in January of 2020, I um, was sick and then somehow lost my sense of smell for six, seven weeks, really. So, I mean, it was before technically anybody knew that COVID was in uh, the United States and I had not traveled abroad or anything like that. But yeah, I didn't have my sense of smell for for a long time. And it was... I mean, the fact that you had like a day and a half of unpleasantness seems relatively fine compared to the many weeks and the many doctor's appointments I went to. Because back then, no one even knew that losing your sense of smell was a sign of COVID. I was oh, yeah. like, I can't smell, doctor. I went to like multiple specialists and they were all, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, like no one had any idea. And then when it finally came out that that was like a, a sign of COVID-19, I had some follow-up telehealth appointments. And my one doctor was like, do you think that maybe you had COVID-19? And I was like, I, I don't know, doctor. What, what do yeah. you think? 
Yeah. So, but anyway, I'm glad that um, you seem to be on the mend. Your yeah, voice does I, sound a little, little off. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it sounds yeah. a little. I mean, it sounds like you know you have a cold or allergies or something like that. Nothing like crazy. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Who knows? I probably have everything right now, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, but so it it was a less than ideal weekend uh, for that reason, but otherwise mm-hmm. everything was fine. Gotcha. Well, that's good. But I guess I guess you were mostly like resting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So cool. Uh, yeah. Anything else? You want to ask me how my weekend was? I did actually, and then you just kind of like charged into turning it in all about me. Well, it was which my I birthday understand this that weekend. It was oh, my well, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Second full COVID birthday. Not nice. Not my favorite. Not my favorite. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm done. I am. I'm officially over. The, I mean, as if as if anybody isn't, but I am. I am well and good done with this pandemic. This is too much. Too much. Just get vaccinated, folks, and let's. Let's get to the other side of this as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah. Well, all right. So, hey, do you want to talk about something? Like do our job here? Interesting. Interesting. I thought maybe there was something you wanted to say. So let's talk about some of the uh, top stories that we had of the week. Well, I mean, my my favorite story, and uh-huh. I use that uh, that word the way I said it. I, if you couldn't tell, I was using air quotes with my with my voice. Well, uh, yeah, but, no, I don't think people could tell that. Well, my least favorite story, maybe. Um, okay. Maybe the most notorious story, uh, maybe something mm-hmm. like that is the proper way to say it. But there was another incident of a law professor using oh. a slur in a classroom at Emory Law School. Yeah. Congratulations, Emery. We can reset that clock of days without slurs in your classrooms to zero. Uh, it had gotten all the way up to like 10 or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I, I laugh and it is a little bit funny, but it is remarkable the number of incidents that are take place at Emory Law School where professors have been saying various slurs, mostly the N-word, which is, you know, awful. But the most recent was um, a variation, I guess. There are more slurs that certain professors are willing to say, and it was it was a, um, a slur for homosexuality in, in the most recent case. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not great. It's not great. And, you know, there's a follow up to the story that, that has more recently come out. But a number of full time faculty have have signed a letter pledging not to say slurs in their classroom. Uh, oh. You know, things that you don't necessarily think you need until you absolutely need it. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I, I, um, yeah, yeah. It go just, on. It, so this has been a frustration that's happened a lot at Emory, but it's not exclusive to Emory no, by no, any no, stretch. Not at all. Um, in fact, in fact, members of this professor's own family do it at different law schools. Right. Um, so, yeah, this case was um, Sasha Volick and his brother, Eugene, also professor at UCLA and has I've also written about for using um, other other slurs in the classroom. What gets me about all this? And we, we've talked about this a lot at Above the Law because it keeps coming up. But I just don't understand. I've never understood the logic of it. Uh, and. Every time I hear someone try to defend the logic of it, it it only raises further questions to me. Uh, mm-hmm. th- these people who are like, well, these students, uh, if they can't handle this. Like, how are they going to handle being a real lawyer? I'm like, well, they're prepared to handle things as a real lawyer. They don't need to be ambushed with completely unnecessary, gratuitous racial slurs in class. 
How about that? It's really the gratuitousness of it <laughs> yeah. that gets me because there's in a classroom setting, there's zero need for a slur, right? Yeah. Like there are there are euphemisms one can use. You can also, I mean, you just you know what word folks are talking about. You know, it's not hard. It's not hard. Is there anything in the fact pattern that says at this point speaker used, you know, these racial slurs like as you know like racial slurs for African-Americans, and you don't know what that is? Yeah. I mean, of course you know what that is, because yeah. you're an adult yeah. in law school. Yeah. Uh, I believe in the, in the current case, the most recent case, it, was, it wasn't even necessarily, I don't think, part of a quote that was going around, but they were talking about a case about the Westboro Baptist Church, and mm-hmm. the professor referred to it as, you know them, they're the ones who think... That, yeah. you know, that gay people or whatever and uh, or something along those lines. That's not an exact quote. But uh, needless to say, you absolutely could have could have gotten that across by saying, you know, F word. You know, I think we all yeah. know which 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 F, F word you're talking about in that particular sure. context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, a, yeah. But it seems yeah. super, super gratuitous. And I don't know. I think that sort of the notoriety that certain folks and and I don't want to ascribe motivations to any particular person, but it seems as if right wingers are the ones who continue to do this. And it seems as if there's a, a certain notoriety or that they get for doing this and that I don't know what else the point would be. Yeah, it just is so bizarrely unnecessary. And it is always cast in the terms that students are somehow to blame for not wanting to hear racial slurs in their classrooms. And it's, it really just keeps coming back to the gratuitousness of it. it mm-hmm. It's, it's this presumption on the part of these professors that students have never encountered any of this language before they the exalted professor decides to expose them to it for the first time in their lives when they're college graduates already. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just so so ludicrous, and it's time to put an end to it at these schools. And I'm glad that professors at Emory are starting to uh, think that maybe they should stop. Or maybe I think, and and maybe this kind of goes to the notoriety that's coming from folks who, who willingly use slurs in the classroom, is that folks want to kind of draw the lines around themselves, you know, <laughs> be like, uh, yeah, I know there's lots of stories about Emory Law professors, but this is not us. And this is the group of them that don't want to be associated with it. And I think that yeah. that's really what it is, is kind of... And, I, you know, it, it makes sense, um, particularly, to, you know, for upper class students who are able to select which professors they get. I would not want to take a class yeah. with somebody who continues to use slurs. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a like general a matter. I don't think that that's I don't think that that's like a, a weird standard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, look, it, it there there are points where sometimes things are can be taken too far. And we had that story that you wrote about of a professor who actually took the step of censoring the slurs that were used in a case. Mm -hmm. uh, And then he got blamed for even talking about the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that was too far, obviously. And I believe that that case case was eventually settled. There was negotiations involved. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is good because Mm -hmm. that professor uh, was doing what you actually want. At a certain point, you do have to cover these sorts of fighting words cases and so on, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to. 
I always go back to there's a scene in old school where Vince Vaughn's saying that you can tell the kid to put earmuffs on and then you can say all sorts of swear words and Will <laughs> Ferrell starts doing that and he goes, you don't have to celebrate it, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah. you, you don't have to go too far. Like there's yeah. certain these cases need to be talked about, but that doesn't mean you get to or should you know, revel in it, which is what appears to be happening with some of these professors and professors that do the work of censoring the cases and saying, like, here's what happened. We're not going to revel in it. But, you know, you've got to grapple with the legal issue. That's that's what you want to see. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess at that point, we we'll, yeah. we can uh, move on from this law school story. You know, speaking of law school, you, you went to law, to law school. school. Yeah, you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Ah. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Uh, so what do you want to talk about now, I guess? Well, I will tell you, maybe not the biggest story, but certainly the most navel-gazing and enjoyable for that reason story yes. was, I think, something you covered and Ken Jennings was asked about one of Above the Law's all-time greatest moments in the history yes. of our website. Yes. For those who are big into trivia, you are familiar with Ken Jennings. I'm the one who does a trivia question of the day at On Above the Law. Yeah. So like, trust me, I, I, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. So uh, Ken Jennings, uh, Jeopardy greatest of all time, also is on an ABC primetime show called The Chase, which is a trivia competition that asks some, you know, it's a it's an interesting format, whatever. We don't need to get into it. But one of the questions that was asked on a recent episode a few weeks ago was in 2016, George Mason University gave its law school what name until Twitter users pointed out its unfortunate acronym. And no. No. long time above the law folks are well aware that it, they named themselves the Antonin, Scali Antonin Scalia School of Law which is known affectionately as ass law, which we still call it, even though they've now tried to backpedal and call themselves Antonin Scalia Law School to try and get around that. But uh, everybody in the legal space refers to them as ass law, and uh, that's why. Yeah. Anyway, so this question was on there, uh, which was great, because it reminded us of the day that this happened. Uh, both of us were working here at the time, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it was a wild, wild day. <laughs> it, was, it was March 31st, so the first thing that happened when we first saw they've renamed the law school, we weren't even on the acronym yet, uh, it, but just the mere idea that they would rename the, the law school that was so shocking that we immediately thought it was an April Fool's joke, which right. was going to be the next day. Right. Uh, and as I recall, it's also, it wasn't an announcement. It was a leak about a future coming announcement. So it, it yeah. added to the, it added to the, oh, is this real? Is this not real kind of vibe that we're, we're, we're living through? Yeah. So Nina Totenberg leak, you know, reported on it. But at the time, nobody actually was confirming anything. So mm -hmm. we just were assuming that she'd been trolled by some opportunistic <laughs> person for April Fool's Day, which seemed even more logical, too, because you would think maybe they planted the seed that that's what this was on March 31st, assuming she'd report it on the first. Right, that that's when right. the official thing was and it was all going to be a big. Anyway, so we we started going off on this and thinking about it. And as it turns out, someone starts writing the draft of it. And I can't remember who it was. I think it was Ellie Mistal, But whoever started writing the draft then types out 
an acronym and realizes for the first time, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> which is, which I guess that's the the quibble we have with this question that the chase did is it wasn't really that they had this name until Twitter users pointed it out. It was they had this name until Above the Law pointed out that sure. this doesn't work. <laughs> Although we, we did, in fact, do that on Twitter. But uh, we were not the first person. I actually did a deep dive into the archives of Twitter. And we were not the first person to use this acronym. There was a Twitter user who has, you know, under 100 followers who, when he saw the the news, he immediately called it as Aslaw. And he tweeted it several times to the, his few followers, none of whom didn't really take off. Uh, a couple people replied to him about how that was funny, but no one with more than 150 followers as mm-hmm. of today, so probably even fewer back then. But yeah, then we uh, we jumped on it, and uh, it became a massive phenomenon, utilizing our Twitter account to do that. So yeah, whether or not, were, well, yeah. the other thing I thought was interesting that it was almost, uh, and I know our other colleague Stacey Zaretsky back in the day had tweeted about this, but the the nickname was almost asshole. Well, yes. So uh, I actually kind of preferred the ass of law, uh, because it technically is ASS of law. So I kind of liked ass of law or asshole, uh, as we, we, and we tested that one out, but ultimately brevity wins out always, you know, uh, and that's why it ultimately became ass law. But yeah, it was an interesting time. And you know, it's one of those moments where you don't quite realize the extent to which you're at the epicenter of a cultural moment. Uh, until after the fact. But, you know, it was seeing this question on a primetime national television show <laughs> that yeah. reminded me I was part of a core group of four of us who or five, four or five of us, I guess, uh, who were at the epicenter of this particular cultural moment. So, yeah, uh, very interesting. That's pretty fun. And retracing it to see like who else was talking about it at the time was was interesting, too. Uh, it was it was a fun trip down memory lane brought on by this story. So that is a little navel-gazing, but, you know, it's a testament to what uh, Above the Law does and uh, has been doing for the last several years. We will always make fun of whatever breaking legal story is happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's yeah. take a second to hear from our friends at Lexicon before moving on. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com slash go to learn more. All right. Well, since you called an audible on the story you wanted to discuss, I think we probably then need to shift gears and talk about one of the more serious stories of the week, which is that the long-awaited Durham investigation that Trump kept saying was going to bring down the entire Democratic Party uh, has actually issued an indictment, and it is Mm. (sighs) Eh. Perkins Coie partner. Mm. That's not great. Yeah, just a Perkins Coie partner who apparently gave information to the FBI saying he wasn't doing it on behalf of a client, but Perkins Coie represented the Clinton campaign, even though he didn't necessarily, but he did bill time to them. But that's also because the campaign had a flat 
monthly retainers. So billing time to them was kind of like a placeholder place for things to go. So that's the, the ultimate culmination of this entire drawn out, unnecessary waste of taxpayer money. Well, it's uh, unfortunate for the partner involved. <laughs> yeah, who now has had to resign. Uh, obviously, this case, uh, th- there are people out there like Jonathan Turley who are really trying to pretend that this case is remotely interesting. Unfortunately, as evidenced by the fact that Jonathan Turley believes it, it really isn't. Wow, um, that is that is a dig. He is. The, I, I don't know whatever happened to that dude, but one of my favorite things to do is grab legal analysis that he writes and use it as an issue spotter and be like, all right, kids, mm-hmm. what's wrong with the logic here? Because it is it, it, it's it's just real broken. Uh, anyway, in this instance, the problem with this indictment for them and, you know, we already saw this with the Greg Craig case that happened where he was ultimately acquitted mm. because there was no materiality to a false statement. Right. Uh, the problem with this is materiality, which, you know, y- you can, you know, make a materially false statement without actually misleading people. You know, for instance, an undercover officer may know that you're lying to them. That still, you know, can constitute a mis- uh, materially misleading statement. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of the Michael Flynn situation, which Actually, that case was also dropped because the Department of Justice decided it was not material because no one was really misled. But in that case, at least it was an attempt to find somebody making a misleading statement. Here, the argument that he wasn't actually doing this on behalf of the campaign, which he probably wasn't, uh, and the reason I, I assume that is if you honestly think that he brought something to their campaign and they said, we order you to turn that over to the FBI as opposed to whoa, that seems like a serious allegation that you should probably take to authorities, then you've never met a lawyer before because <laughs> lawyers would absolutely were going to not try to get involved in claiming that they were behind it. So, but, so, so to, just to back up for, yeah. for a second, what, were, what, was the, what was the stuff that, that they found that he was researching? A tech executive claims to have says that he had found some link between the Trump campaign and a Russian bank. This dates way back to the 2016 where, you know, Russia influence issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, He claimed that he had some tech evidence suggesting that there was a link Mm -hmm. that was given to his lawyer, Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman, who works for a firm that also represented the campaign, but was working with this other guy, had some meetings where they talked about like, look, this stuff's out there, and then ultimately went and delivered it to the FBI saying, I'm not doing this on behalf of a client, but this information exists and you should have it. Gotcha. Yeah. It is bizarre how this becomes, it's bizarre how it becomes material when the person he handed it to from the FBI has already testified under oath that the fact that the the question of whether or not he was representing anybody was never considered and it had no bearing on the investigation seems like that would be a yeah, problem seems like, because seems like it's not material at all then <laughs> yeah uh if it if it in no way put aside misleading if in no way it was going to impact the way in which you investigate it is hard to claim that it's misleading but or, mm-hmm. or that it's material but uh, alas and of course that statement was made under oath because the Republicans in the House had tried to grill this guy, uh, the the FBI, on the opposite logic, on the logic that they were willing participants in it all. So they managed to elicit all this testimony that 
that didn't help their original theory, but only now proves why this wouldn't be material the under opposite, this new right, theory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, just real Keystone Cops kind of operation. But the key to it is, it's unfortunate that a lawyer is now out of a job because of what appear on the face of it to be some fairly weak sauce claims. But, hmm. you know, here we are. And this was, of course, brought like as, within days of the statute of limitations closing, seemingly because this guy's just wasted so much money that he needed to do something to kind of justify that he Look, we existed. have an indictment. And, yeah. and and that's the truth of it, right? We talked, we've talked in the past that people only remember the, the first time they hear about a story. And then when they inevitably have to drop it or it gets it gets dropped by a judge in, you know, six weeks, who even is going to remember? They're just going to say, oh, yeah, there was an indictment. Yeah, it, it really is weird. Uh, just as somebody who's done white collar crime before, it's just no, weird. You, no, 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 you've rep- you, you have not oh, engaged in white collar crime. You, you represented correct. as somebody who is representing that. That's a good clarification for people who are not lawyers. <laughs> like you are not uh, admitting yeah, once yeah. again. Do not admit <laughs> that is that is fair. Yeah, we talk about it. Differently, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah, as somebody who has done that practice before, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that the government would go forward with something this flimsy is really, really telling. Like, just of a breakdown along the path, because part of the challenge of doing that kind of work is that the government's usually sufficiently careful about what they do and make sure that they don't bring things that are going to embarrass them down the road. I have a hard time seeing how this one doesn't go the distance. I can't see, based on these allegations, this guy trying to take any kind of deal. Yeah, I think that he's got a good enough case to just run this all the way to the end. But whatever. Yeah. That is the difference, though, when, when there is a political and public re- relations aspect to yeah. investigations that are different when it's just a an unknown or, or if it doesn't get covered by the media, it's like, you know, below the fold on page, you know, D17 kind yeah. of cases. Folks like, uh, the crazy thing is folks like Turley are trying to turn this into something and suggesting, well, maybe there'll be more indictments to come. And I was like, the, the statute was almost gone before we got to this one if if they're pulling the trigger on the bottom person on the totem pole now then Mm -hmm. they're not gonna get very far right uh it really weird and the the whole theory seems kind of like there's nothing about did you uh, say kafakta yeah amazing yeah go for it go for it but yeah no like (laughs) yeah no the, the whole logic of it is he misled them with this but the issue is that the misleading statement was not the evidence, which whether it's true or not, everyone agrees, at least according to this indictment, uh, everyone agrees that folks thought was genuine. Uh, mm-hmm. It's that he misled by saying he wasn't doing it on behalf of a client, which seems like who cares? Like, right. It's a bookkeeping cl- and, and bonus yeah. inducing query, if anything. It's n- the, allegation, to do with, yeah. the allegation in the indictment is, well, if they knew that, they might have asked other questions. And I'm like, might have? Like, if you can't write the indictment as this meant they did not ask other questions, then you have a real problem. Uh, right. You're right. the government. You, The FBI is your people. You should know whether they did or did not do something. Throwing mm-hmm. in that potential abuse... That's not going to fly anywhere. 
Right. Uh, yeah. Just really, yeah I, yeah, I don't know. As somebody who has, and I'm not saying the phrase done white collar crime, but done the white collar crime practice before. Practiced uh, in white collar crime. <laughs> practiced in that niche area before. I Like I was just so taken aback by this indictment. I, yeah. I read it and just could not believe that this is something that the government is signing its name to. Yeah. Well, Weird. You know. Alas. We live in unprecedented times. What I wouldn't give for some ordinary precedented times. You, get, you, you got Turley doing his thing. The Wall Street Journal op-ed board like went off on how this is a damning indictment. And I was like, tell me you didn't consult any lawyers without telling me you didn't consult any lawyers. If that's your, <laughs> that's your that's opinion. That's your take. It's, yeah. Yeah, it was... It's weird. I mean, yeah, as who knows, uh, obviously prosecutions enjoy tremendous advantage, built in advantages when going in front of juries. But huh, yeah, it, it certainly does not seem like anything that would scare me. Uh, right. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not exactly the world's greatest leader at this. And, you know, the lawyers that Sussman has are very good at this. Uh, but yeah, anyway, cool. Well, you know, I think this that's is why it. We have insurance, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, yep. That's all what? I have for the week. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's why I was beginning my uh, my wrap up there. Okay, you don't have to get you don't have to get salty with me. I didn't get salty with you. <laughs> Testy. I in no way. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should give it reviews. And I know everybody always says that. And it always seems like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a thing I'll do. And then nobody actually does it. But it really is easy enough to just hit the stars. And if you are so inclined, write like a sentence in there. It just shows that you cared enough to write any sentence, which means that the... Uh, the algorithms Algorithm, yeah. see it as important, and that helps more people hear the show. Uh, you should be checking out Above the Law, as always, to read these stories as they happen. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one there in that uh, particular handle. Uh, you should check out our other shows. She's the host of The Jabot. I am a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalists Roundtable. You should be listening to the other shows by the Legal Talk Network that we do not host, but that we you know, listen to. Thank you to Lexicon and Nota, powered by M&T Bank, for sponsoring the show. And with all of that, I think we are now done. Peace! Peace!